Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week we're going to wrap up the Gospel of Mark. And I know we're reading the first chapter of Hebrews this week, but we're going to save that discussion for next week. So just to recap real quick, the book of Mark, remember the first eight chapters of Mark, tell us who Jesus is. They demonstrate his authority. This is who who he is. Then chapters 9 through 16 in Mark, which includes the reading for this week, describe his journey to Jerusalem and his death and resurrection. So that's just a very general, very broad outline of the book of Mark. But this week I want to focus on the very end of Mark, the ending specifically, and that's chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Now, if you've already read this, you may have noticed in your Bible a note next to this section. Sometimes your Bibles will say something like, some of the earliest manuscripts conclude with chapter 16, verse 8. Or sometimes they'll say something like, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. And many Bibles will put this section in brackets as well. So I want to address this because I think this is important. Because these types of issues can often be an area of doubt for many people. So let's address Mark 16 first, and then we're going to talk about these types of issues in in a broader sense, in a more general sense. So first, what's going on here in Mark chapter 16? And, And let me say this to start. Including a note next to Mark 16 verses 9 through 20, that's not a recent development in church history. Okay, Christians have known for centuries that this passage might not be original to Mark's gospel. In the 900s AD, there was a monk named Ephraim, and he wrote a note between Mark 16.8 and 16.9. And this is what he said. In some of the copies, the evangelist, meaning Mark, finishes here. But in many, the following is also contained, referring to verses 9 through 20. So Ephraim recognizes that there's uncertainty here. And the note that he left appears to have been copied from somebody else's note. So what he's saying here isn't original. This type of note next to verses 9 through 20 at the end of Mark, this type of note predates even Ephraim by by hundreds of years. So why has this passage been in question for so long. Well, let's look at the evidence surrounding this passage. And first, let's look at the evidence in support of Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Now, when we look at the manuscripts that we have today for the New Testament, the manuscripts that are surviving today for the New Testament, over 99% of them contain these verses. Okay, over 99% of the New Testament manuscripts contain Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. And that includes over 1,600-plus Greek manuscripts and 
early translations of the Greek as well into, into other languages. And then on top of that manuscript evidence, in 180 AD, we have writing from Irenaeus. Now, a quick aside here, if you're not familiar with Irenaeus, he was a leader in the early church in the second century. He's a very important name in church history. And just to kind of put him in perspective, the Apostle John, so the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote Revelation, he discipled Polycarp. Okay, so John discipled Polycarp, and then Polycarp discipled Irenaeus. So Irenaeus, in a sense, is like the spiritual grandson of the Apostle John. So he, he's a pretty important guy. He's an important figure in church history, and his writings are held in, in high esteem, and rightfully so. So in 180 AD, Irenaeus quotes Mark chapter 16, verse 19, as scripture in his work titled Against Heresies. So you have Irenaeus very early on in church history referring to this section of Mark as scripture. So given this evidence for Mark 16, 9 through 20, why is this passage in doubt? Well, first of all, our two oldest and most complete manuscripts of the Bible, including the oldest complete copy of the New Testament, they don't have these verses. In those manuscripts, which are considered extremely important manuscripts, those verses are, are not present. Mark ends at verse 8. Now, there are other older Greek manuscripts that also are missing these verses and some early translations of the Greek into other languages, such as Latin, that are, are missing these verses, and some of the manuscripts that do include the verses say in them, they have a note in them, that there are older manuscripts that don't. So even though over 99% of our manuscripts surviving today have these verses, some of them acknowledge that there are older manuscripts that don't have those verses, even if we don't have those older manuscripts. Then you have some of the early church fathers, such as Origen and Clement of Alexandria, who appeared to not know of these verses. And in the 300 to 400s AD, you have Jerome and Eusebius, both of whom, again, are very key players in church history. They both said that most of the manuscripts in their day, including what they called the most accurate manuscripts, didn't have verses 9 through 20. So again, even though most of the manuscripts surviving today have these verses, it appears that wasn't always the case. So there have been doubts about these verses stretching back to the very early church. Now here's another thing to keep in mind as we, as we think about this passage. We have to think like an investigator here. Why would a scribe, why would somebody copying the Gospel of Mark either add or remove this passage? Now it's, it's somewhat easy to explain why they might add this passage. Because if Mark's Gospel ends at verse 8, it's the only gospel without a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. It's a very abrupt ending. In chapter 16, the women discover the empty tomb. They see an angel. And then it says, They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And then they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And then it ends. If verses 9 through 20 aren't originally part of Mark's gospel, that's the ending. 
So you can see why there would be a tendency to feel like that's an incomplete ending. It doesn't even talk about Jesus appearing to anyone after his resurrection. So you can see why there might be motivation for a scribe to add. But there's really no clear motivation for why these verses would be removed. These verses talk about Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene and and to some of his disciples, and it contains the Great Commission. It says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Why would there be motivation to remove that section if it was original? So in this case, this passage is much more likely to have been added than removed. And what I mean by that is how do we account for the fact that there are old manuscripts, some of our oldest and most complete manuscripts that don't have this passage? Well, it's probably because this passage wasn't original to Mark. It's probably pretty unlikely that this passage was original and then at some point was removed for whatever reason. Okay, so it's more likely that it was added in after the fact, after Mark had written his gospel. So given all the evidence, including the the manuscripts and the early church fathers and the internal evidence, these verses are, are probably not part of Mark's original gospel. But we know that this passage was written very early because we have some very early references to it. And some people have suggested that this material in these verses may have even been apostolic. So it may, it may have come from the apostles in some sense. And because it's present in, in over 99% of manuscripts that exist today, this passage generally remains in our Bibles with a note of caution. Okay, But a couple of, of key notes about this passage most of, of what is found in these verses, in verses 9 through 20, it is found elsewhere in the New Testament. Okay, It's not like this is brand new material. And no point of doctrine is affected whether these verses are included or not. Okay, So this isn't anything that's going to turn our faith upside down one way or the other, depending on whether these verses are included or not. And, and with that, I want to address a, a bigger issue here. Sometimes you're going to hear people pointing to issues like this as reasons why the Bible isn't reliable. You're going to hear people say things like, well, no two manuscripts of the New Testament completely agree. And there are over 300,000 textual variants in the manuscripts in the New Testament. And you know what? Those things are true. But those statements are also misleading. Because you know what the vast majority of variance between the different New Testament manuscripts are? Things like spelling and word order. Minor things, tiny things that have absolutely zero effect on the content. And we have over 5,000 New Testament manuscripts, far more than any ancient document. So what scholars can do is they can compare these manuscripts, even though there are minor differences they can piece together what the originals said. And so scholars, even many critical scholars, will say that we can know with over 99% accuracy what the original New Testament said. And the handful of passages that are still in doubt, passages like Mark 16, 9 through 20, they don't affect any of our doctrines. Scholar Daniel Wallace, who's a world-renowned scholar in this area of textual criticism, He writes that the New Testament is the most remarkably preserved text of the ancient world, both in terms of the quantity of manuscripts, the number of manuscripts, and 
in their temporal proximity to the originals. So in how close they date to the originals. Not only this, but the fact that no major doctrine is affected by any viable textual variant surely speaks of God's providential care of the text. Here's what we need to realize. Most ancient documents have only a handful of manuscripts, and their manuscripts often date hundreds or sometimes even thousands of years after the originals. But the New Testament has thousands of manuscripts, and the oldest fragments date to less than 100 years of the originals. So why do I share all of this? The point of me sharing this with you is take confidence in the Word of God. People like to point out that we don't have the exact words of the biblical writers. We have copies and copies of copies made by imperfect men. And that's true. But God has providentially worked to preserve his word to the point that we can know with almost 100% certainty, over 99% accuracy, what the originals said. So here's my challenge for you this week. Don't take this word for granted. Sometimes you'll hear people say something like, if God spoke to me directly, I would do this, or I, I would do whatever. But the reality is that he has spoken to you. These words in scripture are the very words of God. Don't take that lightly. And don't let them sit on a shelf collecting dust. Take up and read because these words will change your life. <laughs>